1: Welcome to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. You can hear the program each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560
2: WFIL and WFIL.com. AM 560 WFIL.com and on the app, you're listening to the Tim DeMoss Show. Thanks for tuning in. On the cloudy side today, rain off and on, 42 the high, clearing up tonight, low 29. Sunny, breezy, high 47 tomorrow. Flyers lost 5-3 to Winnipeg yesterday. They're home tomorrow night against L.A. at 7. Sixers off till Wednesday when they they're home against Brooklyn at 7-30. And the Eagles, of course, with their big win over the weekend against the Giants. will be home this coming Sunday afternoon at 3, taking on the San Francisco 49ers, which beat Dallas last night, 19-12. Quick break, early break. Want to get into a really cool conversation. Video, Dan Stevenson, longtime employee and associate of the Phillies, storyteller, uh, has a new video out on the Phillies' YouTube channel. It's called Bedlam at the Bank, the Phillies' video uh, yearbook for 2022. We'll get into that, talk some other things related to the craft of putting videos together and much more. It's coming up next on the Tim DeMoss Show on WFIL.
1: You're listening to a podcast of the Tim DeMoss Show. Heard weekday afternoons 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com.
2: am 560 WFIL at the Tim Denow show and we're glad to bring on board the gentleman affectionately known as Video Dan. Video Dan Stevenson with the Phillies for many, many years. How you doing? Very good, thank you, Tim. Yeah, how many years has it was it for you with the Phillies? 30 uh, I started in 82,
3: so this this it's been 40 years wow. and uh, I retired in uh, 2020. Okay. But I still, uh, you know, work with the Phillies on the highlight film, so I'm a consultant now. So I guess it's been 40 years with the club.
2: That's amazing. It really is. Yeah. I know that John Brazier with the Phillies has joined us many times. He he's talked about right. and Phil Feather, who was with the Phillies for years in the ticket center and many others. That's the thing. Yeah. The Phillies really have yeah. a lot of a lot of longevity, which is great. Yeah, it, it was a, a wonderful
3: place to work. They took care of the employees. Uh, it was a very rewarding career. Uh, you know, it's just couldn't ask for a better place to work
2: our youth pastor angelo giuliani would you have ever heard that name by chance Uh, the name is familiar angelo became our our my pastor at my church but he worked at downey's as a bartender staff i think weren't you that's where you got your initial yeah yeah, i
3: was there i was there in the late 70s early 80s i was i was actually a bartender the night the phillies won the world series so wow yeah
2: and then there was a connection there with Dan, uh, with uh, Chris Wheeler, I think, and, and then it led yeah, from well
3: there. That's, Yeah, and it was yeah. Actually, it was a year after the the Phillies had won the World Series. Um, I was tending bar in the upstairs bar, which had a little more. You had to have a sport coat, so not many people went up there. And Wheels came in this one particular night in the fall and uh i had never met him before and i just looked at him and i said i wish you weren't here (laughs) and he got really upset and he said why why would you say that i said because i wish you were working right now yeah because the phillies had just been eliminated by montreal in that mini series yes and he goes oh you're a phillies fan and so we began to talk and um after about a four-hour conversation he said is this all you do and i said no i have a little video business and uh he said, well, we need somebody. The video guy left for uh, Chicago with Dallas Green, and we're looking for somebody. And I'm like, yeah, right. So I gave him my card thinking, you know, that would be like somebody handing me a blank check for a million right. dollars. Just sign your name on it. So I really didn't really pay much attention to it. And about two weeks later, uh, I got a call from the management at Downey's. I said, there's a, there's a banquet tonight. We need a bartender. I said, I really don't want to come in. He said, it's for the new Phillies owners. So I said, I'll be right there, <laughs> and I'm setting up the bar. And Larry Shank, who I'm sure you remember fondly, sure. uh, is—he's is, really nervous because they had all these uh, businessmen coming in that had bought into the uh, team with Bill Giles as their uh, as their head. Yeah, and uh, he was always, Do "You have this kind of Scots, you have this." He goes, "Hey, wait a minute, you're that video guy, Chris Wheeler was telling me about." I'm like, "Really?" He told you about me? He goes, "Yeah, you know, we need somebody." I'm like, holy smokes! Maybe there's something to this. Yeah. And about two hours later, um, Bill Giles came to the bar and was asked for a drink, and Larry came up and said, "Bill, this is our new video guy." And he goes, "Welcome aboard." That's so hilarious. That was, that was the vetting process. I could make a, <laughs> a good martini, I guess. So. <laughs>
2: yeah, all those but, uh, all those rounds of interviews you didn't have to do. That's
3: yeah, exactly. The rest is history. I, I know we've done some uh, career days at the ballpark and. Scott Palmer's like, tell them your story. I said, I don't think their professors would appreciate the <laughs> blind luck I had in getting this job. That's so funny. We'll but let that one...
2: one thing that fascinates yeah. me about this whole thing really is because your position, I think, is a position of trust in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. how it mm-hmm. evolved at least over time. And, you know, I mean, for, just so the audience understands, if they've seen anything produced for the Phillies in different forms, they've seen your work. But maybe oh, rattle off a couple of things that people would know most obviously perhaps, or.
3: Well, we, we um, started in uh, 1988 with doing the Phillies home companion, which was a highlight film that Mike Tolan produced and directed. And Mike has gone on to become a Hollywood uh, mogul pretty much. I mean, he's a director producer and does a lot of stuff out there. Yeah. And uh, about four years later, I took over as the uh, editor of these and I, and I would shoot all the stuff. And then, couple years after that, I did everything. I, I wrote it, produced it, directed it and stuff. So we've been doing a behind-the-scenes highlight film really for almost 35 years there. Okay. And uh, so a lot of the stuff I've done, and it, it, it's nice because, again, the Phillies would let me branch out a little bit. And I remember one time uh, I said, hey, I'd really like to do a, a documentary about Veterans Stadium because we were getting ready to close it. And um, I believe the Eagles didn't have any interest in celebrating the, their history there. And I'm like, no, this is this was our home. You know, whether it was a good or bad place, yeah, we loved it here. And so we wound up. I was going to do a short documentary, wound up being an hour and a half long. And I interviewed over 70 people. Wow. wow. You know, employees, players, uh, politicians, everything about the about the the experience of Veterans Stadium, which which I love.
2: And the name and, of that. Uh,
3: is it's well, it's called Field of Memories. Okay, and I think they've since uh made it a double uh, DVD with uh, the last weekend of Veterans Stadium, which we called the final inning. Yes, and we combined it to call it The Vet, I believe. Okay, and uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, but the, the the Phillies have always been great about letting me do you know a couple extra things. We did a documentary about the 1980 Phillies 20 years after it happened. And that was called Glory Days, and it was narrated by Dallas Green. Yeah. And that was a lot of fun to work on. Uh, We did a a 10-year anniversary of the 93 Phillies, which was great because um, we sort of have a— we're really not allowed to use much postseason footage when we do a highlight film because the the league owns that, and they would prefer we just did our regular season. They do the postseason video. Yeah. But um, 10 years after the 93, our our postseason was so great, going down and beating the Braves and and then almost beating the the, uh, Blue Jays, which are really pretty much of an all-star team. Sure. And so we got Larry Anderson and John Kruk to narrate that. uh, Those are some projects I really enjoyed working on.
2: That's cool. That's really cool. If you're just tuning in, video Dan Stevenson with the Phillies for 40 years now uh, on our program today on WFIL. The newest one, of course, and the reason I wanted to get in touch with you is about Bedlam at the Bank, the 2022 Phillies video yearbook. And, uh, you know, my son teaches film. In fact, one day, you know, you and I have crossed paths a little bit when I was covering the team, mm-hmm. but I was just there part time. I remember one day sitting in the press box and you were kind enough to talk to me for a few minutes. I was talking about my son before he's going to college. This would have been uh-huh. five, six, six years ago. And anyway, he teaches film now, film and photography, a small Christian school in, in, uh, in West Palm Beach. And so okay. his kids watched the whole uh, thing. They watched <laughs> in class and they came up with different questions. Uh, Uh And and I had also prepped some questions. Some of them overlap a bit. One of them, his name is Chase. He says, how do you balance individual storylines when the film's about a group? Do you struggle to be fair, quote unquote, in giving everyone their moment?
3: Yeah, well, when I make these, now it's interesting because, you know, I I went on with uh, John uh, Brazier and Tom Burgoyne on their podcast, and they said, boy, there were a lot of storylines you could have used. I could have used the... uh, retiring sportscasters like Ray Dinger and Jim Gardner all came to the ballpark and had their final moments, you know, yeah. you know, before they retired. Uh, normally that would make the highlight film, but this year it was like, literally, um, I, I don't start writing it until the last out of the season. So obviously the story was we win the pennant and we very easily, I think could have, had a parade down Broad Street right um, you know, it, we were playing well enough and after game three which where we smoked the Astros I really thought I said I think we got this in two more games and you know lo and behold the Astros turn around throwing no hitter at us right which just shows how resilient they were <laughs> and then the next game was the game that JT hit the ball to the warning track that could have easily been a game-tying hit and yeah it was an out and and uh, but, but the story was there, how, how good this team was and how they sort of fed off each other. So they're right. There were individual storylines, like, for example, the, the Alec Bohm incident, which, which I thought was a great example of how well the player handled it and how well the fans handled it, yeah. where he said something stupid. He admitted it right away and then said, hey, I do love this town. And the next day he was, uh, you know, showered with applause and went on to have a great season. And I it was just, uh, yeah. I've seen a lot of players who, who they get so mad at the fans that they shut down and they won't, you know, you know, they won't let themselves be great players. And, and, um, John Crux said it a number of times. He's a very hard place to play, but, if you can play here, you can play anywhere and it's the most rewarding place to play, so
2: Yeah, for sure. You and you mentioned Alec Bohm, my son had actually written one of the, the half a dozen questions. He said that you know, mm-hmm. you handled the moments with Alec Bohm and firing of Joe Girardi fairly and with reverence, how do you balance trying to show people in a positive light while trying to be accurate? And that's I mean, well, yeah.
3: Yeah. It's it's um. So what was the second part about Joe? Well, just the I'm fact sorry.
2: that both both the Alec Bohm story and just the fact that Joe, when I first saw Joe Girardi popping up, I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. he does need to be in here. He was here for three, you know, two and a half months.
3: Oh yeah. How do yeah. you handle
2: well, that graciously in a way that you're telling the truth, but you're not throwing right. somebody you know away and making them making it look like right. they're the bad guy and all that.
3: All right. Well, it's one of the things about this is, uh, and David Montgomery was my, you know, mentor and leader and and maybe the best boss he could ever have. Hmm. And he was always, you know, he would always see this, you know, first and give his critique to it. So I started writing these things, knowing he was going to look at it, knowing what he was going to say. Yes, and I knew that we could not sugarcoat things, and that if we had a bad year, uh, it was going to be in there. If we had a, a player who didn't perform up to the right standards, he you know he was going to be in there, whether he was injured or something was going on with his personal life. And, and there's been all kinds of things that have gone on for forty years that right. you know sometimes it's easy to to. Uh, I don't want to say make an excuse, but it's easy to uh, pinpoint why a player had a certain performance. Right, but you know it, it, we say you know we always put the warts in there, and then uh, you know the, the good parts obviously get highlighted, and uh, that's what happened this year. I mean, there weren't too many. There, there were some bad series we had, and as a team, they they took it like you know we can get past this, and they did. Maybe in the last three or four years, they didn't. Like, uh, you know, we always, right. we always seem to have a bad September. And uh, in another good example, like Aaron Nola always seemed to have a bad September the last couple of years. And he just said, no, I'm going to rise above this and I'm going to become Aaron Nola, yeah. you know, the the star. And he was. And and it was, you know, so we're going to put that out there. We're going to, you know, he doesn't disappear in the last uh, month of the season where, sure you know, in the last couple of years he he wasn't there, so it was uh It's fun to reward the guys that, uh, you know, that have the payoff that they had this year.
2: And I'm sure for your job, it's always great to have wonderful moments to include. I had goosebumps in the first 60 seconds in the opener. Just my first goosebump alert came before the thing actually got going. (laughs) Yeah, right. You know, and we, so if you're just tuning in, video Dan Stevenson with the Phillies uh, for 40 years now, his Bedlam at the Bank, the 2022 Phillies video yearbook. You can catch it on the Phillies YouTube channel. And uh, I'm glad to have you on because this is a, a nice way to get people Warmed up for the season and yeah. kind of tie yeah. them over, right? Uh, but uh-huh. but that exactly. but that asks, so and and another point is you do these every, pretty much every year, so it's not just right. this is not just the twenty two team almost won the World Series. Uh-huh. We need to put a video together.
3: No, and it, it's funny because I'll go back and look at the previous years uh, while I'm doing it, and then obviously between two thousand seven and two thousand eleven was incredible fun, and yeah. we made it to the postseason. And I had forgotten. Then in 2011, we actually got Cliff Lee to narrate it, and uh, he had had a phenomenal year. Uh, it was, you know, he was returning to the Phillies after being here a short time in uh, '09, so it was like a, it was like a, a real nice narrative. But he he said, "I can only do it uh, before the season ends." So what I did was I got Scott Fransky to sort of give the beginning, which was how we signed him in the winter, and then Scott did the postseason. Hmm. And if you remember, that was the year that we got knocked out of the first round by the St. Louis Cardinals, who only got into the postseason because we beat the Braves the last we swept them the last weekend. And exactly. The Cardinals snuck in; they were the hottest team, and they beat us. And it was, and that was when Ryan Howard went down with his Achilles, and it was heartbreak. And it was, you know, that was the year we had the five aces, and we were going to go all the way, and it just didn't happen. And I'm like, how do I write this? You know, what am I going to do? And I remember writing, starting it off with a little clip from 1964 and uh, saying that the game is designed to break your heart. And the Bart Giamatti had that great quote. And uh, I put that in there and I said, everybody who's been a Phillies fan for a long, long time knows that you can get your heart broken, but you'll always be back in the spring. And it's like uh, un unwavering loyalty to this team, and that's sort of what carries us through. Yeah. I didn't think it would take us 11 years to get back to the postseason, but I'm I'm glad we finally made it to that.
2: Do you have a process in general when you're creating something in terms of uh, taking notes for weeks up until so it can be marinating and brain dump it and then sort it out?
3: Yeah, I have a giant notebook that, that I'll just sit there and listen to stuff from games, and I don't know that literally the first line you hear... In, in Bedlam at the bank is, is this heaven? No, it's Philadelphia. And that was Kruk. And it was the 11th inning of a game in July where um, Derek uh, Hall had hit a home run. And he was rounding the bases with a big smile on his face, and that was his comment. Is this heaven? No, it's Philadelphia. And I'm like, I'm using that. <laughs> and, you know, Kruk is Kruk's beautiful, and he comes up with some great stuff. So I, I have a whole section of notes, and, and you know, I, I'll go Start going through the season and say well obviously this is a huge game and um, th- there are things that jump out at you that you know have to be in there uh, and then it, but it really depends on how it ends if it ends on such a high note like this one does you don't really have to worry about mistakes that were made or, or, or things like that you, you can get you can get through that.
2: My son Tim's class Michael asked how do you choose what Story you're going to tell in 70 minutes, since you can't say everything you talked about it a little bit earlier. Right. How do you pick the most important moments? And along with that, I would just say, how do you help? Because you have multiple elements: you have video, you have right. audio. You want to make sure that you didn't spend too much time on one story that, in the end, is like, oh, that's a right. good story, but I I spent way too much time on that. I got to edit it down
3: or out. Well, it's, it's funny you mention that because this is the second year since I have retired that we've done this. Now, the first year was 2021. And what we did was I would write the script and we had Scott Fransky do the narration. And then I would start, I would cut the season up into like three-minute pieces. And we'd say, okay, here's spring training. Here's opening day. Here's the big series against the Mets and the end of April. And we, I would say, what music should go there? You know, where, where in the script should you put Fransky's lines? What, how many plays from the big series in April you should have. And we did it that way, and then and guys would edit it, send it back to me. I would say, yeah, that's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm looking for. But the the one thing that was missing in the process that it, when I had done everything by myself was that I'd put it all together and say, okay, this is too long, that's too long, this doesn't fit. And we didn't have time to do that. So we got it, it wound up being way too long, I thought for a losing season and yeah. for a disappointing ending. Right. And so I'm like, well, okay, at least we learned from that. And so this year I, you know, once I knew something special was happening, I said, I'm going to really streamline the first uh, five months of the season. And we'll, and we'll get the big moments, the Alec Boehm moment, and the Joe Girardi getting fired. And then, you know, what happened when Thompson became manager was amazing. And, so that had to be in there, and then uh, but but you skip things like the highlight. I mean the uh, All Star Game, which was which was fine, but it really had nothing to do with us. It was great. Kyle Schwarber got to go, but it was, even though he was a narrator, I, I felt like now let's stay on us. Yeah, and uh, you know, and then the the things that David Dombrowski does at the trade deadline still amaze me, and and how that forms the team not only for the stretch drive but for you know the coming seasons getting a guy like brandon marsh so you know that stuff all gets in there i always love to do the alumni weekend that's always my favorite weekend of the year for sure that, i make sure that gets a, a nice treatment and uh yeah that's how we do but but yeah i i have found that the the process when i didn't have control of uh, you know the the entire thing what it looked like at the end and that's what I told everybody. I said, I really want to have this thing. You know, I want to be able to look at the whole thing and then strip it down. And we actually didn't have to do that. It was – everybody sort of was on the same page, and everything worked out perfect.
2: I would just think that that's such – such because it's so involved with the, the multiple pieces to it, that you could yeah. be, you know, uh, days into it and then realize, ah, I think we're off target. we got to shift over here, and that means taking right. this out and that out and uh, – how, how long did well, it take it, to it, put Bedlam at the Bank together And when you think about um, it? I mean, it's really I, well, ongoing.
3: I told somebody, I, I, we were talking about in, in, in 2008, I, I refused to do anything on it until the day after the parade. I mean, it was going to be like whatever the last game of the season was. And then, like, the last game of the season might be a World Series win. And so the story's not over till the parade's over. Yeah. And so I had October 31st, and I had to get it done by December 1st uh, and I literally had not done one bit of work on it other than taking notes throughout the season. Sure. But I hadn't started writing it, editing it or anything like that. And I just said I know this is going to be a lot of all nighters at the ballpark <laughs> but it's going to be worth it cuz this is the first time we've had that I've got to do the happy ending. You know, we didn't we didn't do this in 1980. So um, it like it was concentrated amount of work. It took about a month to, to get it right and the, the good thing is when you when everything works like it did in night in 2008 the story tells itself so you don't have to like be looking for different things. Um, so this one this one happened rather quickly the, the, the guys that edited now I'm an old-fashioned editor I used to use videotapes and it's very tedious. I learned how to do the nonlinear editing that everybody does now but the guys that we, we have about four guys on staff and women. Yeah. That are great editors, and I'm happy to you know give them that stuff, and they 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 work much more quickly than I did. So, well, and to um, your
2: point though, that whole, whole uniform thing, start to finish
3: took about I don't know, maybe two months.
2: Yeah, and that's I just people keep in mind if you just tuning in video Dan Stevenson with the Phillies our guest Bedlam at the Bank the 2022 Phillies video yearbook 70 minutes in length but takes. 60 days or more plus all the prep and ongoing really life oh, yeah. knowledge you have to you know from all the previous seasons to know how to fit right. things together so a, a day a minute something like that perhaps yeah that's about you know. right
3: <laughs> well it's it's fun I'll, I'll give you a good example of the editing process yeah. um you know i i had seen the game that bryce had gone up into the booth and i remember i, I think i watched it live and i'm like how cool is that he's up there with a suit and you know, Crux making fun of him for dressing up. And, right. You know, it, it was just a nice whole vibe. And I said, I'm curious to see how Bryce does. And I thought he was tremendous. I thought he was really good and and gave a lot of good insight. So I said, well, I'm going to throw maybe 30 seconds of that in there. So I wound up listening. He only did five innings because it, it was rained out after five. And I'm listening. I'm like, oh, this stuff's great. i got to keep it in. So it wound up being two minutes long. And I'm wondering to myself, is is this too long? Is this, you know, does it, uh, you know, throw off the rhythm of the show. And then I've gotten more feedback from people who say, oh, I love that with Harper up in the booth. That was great. And I'm like, yeah, I did too. That's why I didn't want to get rid of it. <laughs> like, I, I guess we did the right thing by keeping it in there. Cause you, you do want to know what Bryce Harper's like. And that, and that was a, I mean, obviously on the field, he's ridiculously good. Sure. But it, it's interesting to hear his thoughts on the game. And, uh, I I love that that he went up into the booth that day.
2: Video Dan Stevenson, our guest today on the Tim DeMoss Show, 40 years with the Phillies, Bedlam at the Bank, the 2022 Phillies Video Yearbook, the most recent work you can check out uh, that he has done on the Phillies' YouTube channel. Quick break. We'll keep our conversation rolling in just a moment. The Tim DeMoss Show on WFIL.
1: Have a guest you'd like to hear on the Tim DeMoss Show on AM 560 WFIL. Email Timmy D at wfil.com.
2: AM 560, WFIL.com, and on the app, you're listening to The Tim DeMoss Show. Video Dan Stevenson with the Phillies as an employee and associate for 40 years. Most recent uh, project, Bedlam at the Bank, the 2022 Phillies video yearbook. A great way to segue from the postseason to spring training. Get your Phillies fix, so to speak, that way. A lot of great moments and hard moments, too. Narrated by Kyle Schwarber who hit all kinds of home runs for the team, and uh, he does a great job with this. Was Kyle the natural uh, choice to ask for this, or how did that come about?
3: Well, it seemed like it to me. I mean, I've never met him. I still haven't met him. I I was uh, shut out of the clubhouse once the pandemic started and haven't really seen any players since. So the only guys I really know are uh, Reese and Aaron Nola. And okay. Reese was great. He was he did a really good job in two thousand eighteen. He did the highlight film called Living the Dream. And uh, we've got Tom McCarthy for nineteen, we got Joe Girardi for twenty, and last year we got Scott Franski. And I said, I really want to get back to having a player do it. It's just to me it's more meaningful if the player is telling you, boy, JT Real Muto is best player, best catcher I've ever seen. You know, if Kyle if Schwarber says that, it's a lot more, Yeah, it has a lot more effect than if, uh, you know, even Scott or Tom McCarthy says it. So I, I, as as the season wound down, I made a few phone calls, and uh, I said, well, what do you think of the chances of uh, Schwarber doing this for us? And uh, Kevin Gregg uh, yeah. said, let me ask him. And he came right back to me and said, he'd love to do it. And I'm like, awesome. Because <laughs> we've had just about, just about everybody on the Phillies has done this at one point. Now, you know, I, uh, hopefully we'll get Bryce uh, in a couple of years to do it. Uh, I think he'd be great. Yeah. Um, there's a, a lot of people that I would love to have put on the checklist to get on that. But
1: for sure, uh, yeah,
3: we've had everybody: Jimmy, Chase, Ryan, Dutch. I mean, Lenny. everybody. everybody's Jimmy me wow. Those are some names. It. It's fun to work with. Guys, because they're not professional, but they know it, and and so they just they do their voice, and that's who's telling the story.
2: Yeah, Schwarber, to me seems like he embodies even what the whole team was about. You have a number I, right, oh, new yeah. players. You have uh, Castellanos <laughs> and Robertson and Syndergaard and Brandon Marsh, uh-huh. and all those guys. So he's one of them, and together yeah. they did what they did.
3: Yeah, exactly.
2: Plus, his plus his skill <laughs> level matches the level of the team accomplishment, so to oh, speak.
3: My gosh, I mean, it was incredible. It was. Uh, you know, I remember—I guess it was a year or two ago—him coming in in June, and like literally every other at bat, he was hitting a home run. And I'm like, wow, he's doing this. And I think he was with the Nationals then, and then the Red Sox, and he was just crushing the ball. I'm like, wow, you know, boy, it'd be nice to get a guy like this. And <laughs> Dave Dombrowski goes out and gets him, and I'm like, wow.
2: Speaking of Dave Dombrowski, and if you're just tuning in, video Dan Stevenson spends some time with us today, I love this, on the Tim DeMoss show, WFIL Philadelphia, Bedlam at the Bank, the 2022 Phillies video yearbook on the Phillies YouTube channel. I've watched it several times. Love it, uh, and you get more each time you watch it. You mentioned Dave Dombrowski. His comments make him look prophetic. I'm sure, again, I think there were two specifically after the 2021 season. You had footage in there where he said he felt the team could certainly do well in 2022 legitimately, and then after the managerial change, Gerardi to Rob Thompson. The yeah. division's probably yeah. out of reach, uh, but the wild right. card's still possible, and anything can happen. Exactly what happened? Yeah.
3: <laughs> that's exactly what happened. It was funny because I was looking for a way. You know, by August, I kind of knew that I really felt that this team had too many hitters that that we weren't going to be denied the postseason. Yeah, you know, I didn't. I'm, I was sure we had our pitching was good. But we had too many guys that could hit the ball. And and uh, so I, I really felt we were going to make the postseason. So I said, all right, how do I start this thing? And I went back to last year's video, and I saw that we had put Dave. That's how we ended the 2021 uh, video yearbook. Okay. And I'm like, holy smoke. He called it right on the nose. He said, you know, nobody wants to come in here and face, uh, you know, uh, Wheeler and Nola and uh, Suarez. And he said, you know, he said, you know, obviously Bryce Harper is, you know, he's a star, and JT is a star, and I'm like, he 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 sold me a year before. I'm like, I'm starting a highlight film like that. I said, I said he had it right because everybody was depressed after the 2021 because once again we'd fallen apart in September. Yeah, and he was the guy who said, no, we have a really good team, and I'm like, yeah, we do. And it, somehow it all just fell into place.
2: One of the fun, one of the fun themes to me. Just a couple of specific moments in Bedlam at the Bank. One theme that kept coming through was how you have many instances of a player hitting a home run and then looking back at his teammates, like, "All right, oh, yeah. you know that whole yeah. thing." I, you know, we don't see that necessarily all the time, but that no. was right. The repetition really drove it home. Right, and and it was
3: funny because. I, even in 2008, uh, I was looking at the coverage, and there weren't players yelling and screaming on the top of the dugout for each other. You know, I, this yeah. just happened. And and when you see it as a fan, you go, God, that's great. You know, it was it was <laughs> like, it was so cool to watch. And like you said, they were all pulling for each other, which was, you know, it wasn't like one or two games where everybody got excited that Bryce had a home run or Reese had a home run or. Uh, it, it was every single game they're they're screaming for each other it was like
2: a thing you know right uh, yeah. my turn <laughs> yeah one of the that other moments awesome. one of the other moments too dan from your um editing perspective uh, i'll just describe it briefly for listeners you know catcher jt romuto is trying to throw out a runner attempting to steal the throw is off between second and first, but Edmundo Sosa tags the runner out through his legs while leaping over him without looking at the runner. It's 38 minutes in for those who want to catch that. Then you do a replay of it, which is exactly what I, as the viewer, was thinking. Like, hey, wait, what did I just see? And then boom, sure enough, you give a replay. Instinctually on your part, you know, I need to do that here.
3: Well, it's funny because I'm not the editor. That was um, one of my other editors that did that. And that's how I've always done it, and he, he was, I, I don't know, he, he nailed it. You know, I saw yeah. it, I'm like, that's perfect because that's, that's what I want. And, and it's funny because a guy like Sosa, who, who didn't have, like, any huge, you know, moment, I mean, he had the one game where, where I think was two or three games where he hit multiple home runs and, you know, and everybody got excited, but it was also, that was in the middle of a, of a down period, so I didn't want to weave that in there that much. But I'm thinking this is a great guy to have on our roster next year, so he's got to have a place in this. So I, I, I had that little segment in there, and then, of course, he, he pops up in the postseason where he, he's scoring big runs. He, he made a, a last out of a game and stuff. So I want to make sure he was at least in the show. <laughs> and, yeah, I was so happy that, that was there was a second replay on him. Yeah, that that was perfect, because it was a spectacular play.
2: It's like the editor's thinking for me. I actually wound up uh, five more times. My kids were like, wait, what was that? (laughs) Yeah, right. You know, think like a viewer, right? Uh, My my son, Tim, asked me, uh, just getting back to his quick short list here, he said, how do you deal with what he would call visual redundancy, since lots of footage is of similar events in a similar location, but keep it fresh?
3: Yeah. Well, here's how I... (laughs) You you talk about a process. One of the things that um, I I weigh out, obviously, there is the verbal information, which is the call and the narration, you know, like moves the story along. The visuals are, you know, are the other elements. The the visual elements move the story along. But to me, it's just as important, and and I weigh it just as much, as the music. I remember when I started doing these things, uh, the music was non-existent. It was like way in the background. It wasn't important. And I remember asking uh, some editors from uh, MLB Productions, I'm like, where do you guys get this music? And they said, it's a production library. And they said, it's music you would never listen to, uh, you know, in the real world. And I'm like, that can't be right. There's, there's got to be good enough stuff in there. So I, we, we've been with the same music library for 30 years, and I love it now it's huge it's it's uh and it's all you know on the internet i can dial up anything i want whenever i want but there's like thousands and thousands of uh, albums or cds i guess in the past now they're all digitized but you know there'll be like 30 pieces of music on each one and and i spend more time going through that music and looking for the exact right music that's going to move the story it's going to, you know, slow the story down, speed the story up, you know, give you the emotion. I put as much emphasis on that. So when there is a redundancy in the in the actual audio or the video, I try to make the sounds different. You know what I mean? It's like right, right. You try to create a mood with the music or, uh, you know, to me, the, the calls are the calls and the the narration is the narration. But you can really change the mood of a thing with the music. And to me, the pictures are all the same. I always joke about, I literally tell the same story over and over again for 30 years. And you, know, you hope you get the happy ending at which we did this year, yeah. or very close to the happy ending. Right. But the only thing you can really control is the music and, and switch it up. And uh, I try to put a lot of thought into that. And uh, that's what I take a lot of pride in uh, how, how the, how the The final music edit is done.
2: Bedlam at the Bank, the 2022 Phillies video yearbook video. Dan Stevenson, so kind to spend time with us today. Just a couple last questions, if you're if you're willing. Yeah. Uh, the, the last question my son Tim had asked was, and it's a, obviously um, you know the main challenge. Maybe was there one? As people are sitting and watching, is there a particular part of the video that was most difficult for whatever reason, logistically or or anything, to actually get involved and get it in the video?
3: No, not not for me. It was uh, you know we we the the, the weird thing is. We sort of have to take um, what MLB has given us. And in the past, we we have a very limited amount of postseason footage that we are allowed to use. And that's just the rule. That's, you know, that's the business rule. Okay. About um, halfway through, I guess, calling them up and say, what can we do, what can't we do? They said if you put it on YouTube, you can use unlimited postseason footage. And that's all I needed to hear. Wow. I, I, I'm like, the postseason was so good, and there were so many good games. It wasn't like, you know, like there was one or two good games in each series. There were like four good games in each <laughs> series. Right. And there were so many great moments, and especially once we got it back to Philly, there were so many great moments, and the crowd became part of those great moments. And uh, one of my favorite things in there is after the first game against the Braves, the press conference post game with Reese and Bryce, and the both of them were shocked. And they said, we knew that it was going to be great. We we've heard for 10 years, how great these fans are, but we weren't ready for how good it was. And and Bryce was saying, I still have goosebumps thinking about it. And, (laughs) and I'm watching this and I'm watching two grown men, like, in amazement at what they had just been through. And and that, to me, was was the testament to the Philly fans and the people that showed up and uh, what they gave back to this team. That was one of the biggest rewards for me, was that our fans got to prove they are the greatest fans because they always hear they're the worst. And when these players said, no, these, these people are unbelievable, that, that was the, the highlight for me for the whole season.
2: Do you think... For you personally, as a you know, for your craft, and you look back over the 40 years you've done work with the Phillies, mm-hmm. how much are you pretty much the same guy? Uh, and I, and I say this in a way because you have to not not skill wise, perhaps right. but I'm talking about relationally because I, I mentioned at the beginning mm-hmm. the trust that players and the organization has with you that allows you to do the work, have the access in various situations, and take your place properly, so you're not trying to be too much or too little you have to be bold but right. not in the way and all that have yeah. you been that way most of your life or where do you where do you draw you know, yeah where's that come from yeah,
3: i would i would say and and you know unfortunately um after the big run of you know 07 to, to 011 um i really didn't have that much to do with the day-to-day players and i and i sort of faded out of that now you know back in the old days when i was the video guy in the video room and uh, especially in 1993 when something exciting happened on the field i'd run out there with my camera in the dugout and shoot from behind for and stuff and and then when there'd be a walk-off and everybody be coming in the clubhouse i'd be right in the middle of that and i was literally the fly on the wall like nobody would even look at the camera they they were just i was just part of the scenery there which was perfect because it, it was uh you know, I got to be anonymous, uh, and they knew that if, if something was said on camera that it, that was not right. If they criticized maybe the other team or the other pitcher, nobody'd ever see that. Right. So th- that's where the trust was built up, and so that went on for years and years. And uh, unfortunately, I, I stopped being a part of the clubhouse kind of when we moved into the new building. But I was I was in the video room a lot, and so the, everybody knew who I was, and it. Wasn't a problem, and if there was a big game, I'd go down in the tunnel and shoot behind Boa, and then shoot behind Charlie or whoever. Um, and and so there was it was never an issue, but it was just more of a. As time went on, I became less and less a part of it, and then uh, it it got to the point where it is now where then they literally closed the clubhouses during the pandemic, sure. and that was kind of the end of it. Hopefully, there, there there's some young people that work there now that will assume that mantle and uh, hopefully be given that privilege by the players to, you know, get closer than you normally would, because I I consider it a huge privilege to have done that for 30 some years and, and to be able to get that kind of access to show the fans because, you know, and that was always David Montgomery's thing. He goes, I want fans to see what it's really like down there or as close as possible. And that was our goal, you know, from the get go was to, you know, I would always say we might have a horrible year. But if you watch these movies, maybe you'll like this guy or maybe you'll have a better appreciation for that guy because you saw something he did, you know, in the clubhouse or or something he did for charity or something like that. Yes. Right. That's always been our secondary goal.
2: It's interesting. Uh, folks tuning in, Video Dan Stevenson spent a little time with us today on the Tim DeMoss Show, WFIL Philadelphia, Bedlam at the Bank, the 2022 Phillies Video Yearbook on YouTube. You can catch it and get yourself ready for uh, for spring training and all that and celebrate uh, the 2022 year. Yeah. Um, it's interesting you say that because the I covered the team with Terry Francona his first year in 97. Yeah. 2017-ish and then the last five years I've been it's been very spotty for different reasons I hope to still go again this year, but my job was different than most of the folks there who are writing on a deadline And and they need to get certain information the quotes and all that stuff I'm more there relationally to hopefully over time you get to know a player They come on your show at at their convenience is not this deadline pressure and they can also feel perhaps safer or just the the grid through which things are happening. I mean, say, right. Chase Utley, how do you feel when you hit that home run? I mean, I the reporter's asking it because they do want to quote. But yeah. the answer's yeah. already obvious. And Chase was always I, – I saw him be good about it. He'd just say, okay, all right, you got enough, guys? Okay, see you later. Like this
3: he he'd, he'd, Right, <laughs> yeah, because he don't want to talk about himself.
2: Yeah, but he'd be brief enough and then say, you guys got what you need. I'm out. But uh, other people would hang in the showers and others would come out and be very yeah. – hang out all – you know, Brad Lidge would talk for as long as you wanted. Yeah. Right, whatever. Yeah. But I say all that because I appreciate what you're saying. That you're you're kind of gathering as you go, and you you have deadlines, but it's not like you have a deadline yeah. every single night. Plus, there's a, a a verse I've thought about in the book of, in the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs, verse 11, chapter 22, 11 says, "He who whose speech is gracious will have the king for his friend." And I think about that with regard to yeah. uh, whether it's your speech yeah. or how you conducted yourself, people felt safe mm-hmm. with you.
3: Yeah. Well, I, that, that's a wonderful uh, proverb. I, yeah. I appreciate that because, you know, I've never tried to make anything about me. You know, I'd say that's about you guys. You know, I'm here yeah. to make you look good. And I think early on guys understood that I was there to make them look good. Yeah. And and that was because there's enough people that are trying to knock them down. And yes. I, I said, you know, the, the, we're we're part of the we're with the Phillies. We're not with a media outlet. We're here for you. So you know, and and a lot of guys caught on immediately. Said, great, we're doing a charity event. Can you come out? And, yeah, I'm like, absolutely. That's what we're here for. And so it, they they learn that we're we're all part of the same team. And uh, you know, they're and it is a learning curve for a new player
2: with the Phillies. Yeah.
3: But um, th- there's enough people around that say, you know, hey, this guy's with us. Don't worry about it.
2: Well, it's it's. Uh, I'm sure that took some time, but it w- was well worth doing. And and as your reputation goes before you, then that allows, I'm sure, feeds into the future, you know, like yeah. you said, new players and all that. Um, yeah. The video closes in a really sweet way. Uh, two things. First, you have a long list of folks who are involved, and I recognize right. a lot of names on that list. And that's um, those are just everyone who's contributed in some shape or form. I'm guessing.
3: Yeah, and and the thank yous and stuff. I always put my wife in there because she'll get mad at me if I don't <laughs> thank her. <laughs> I'm, I'm absent a lot during these when I'm wait, ma- making these things. I might be at the dinner table, but my head is somewhere else. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but the uh, uh, yeah, there's a lot of people that they're, you know, like ballpark people, and, uh, and then there's some people that help us with getting media that we can't get access to, like, uh, you know, something from ESPN or something like that. So right. there's always plenty of that.
2: And then Kurt Simmons, there's the dedication at the end. A very nice touch. Uh, and he just hap- so happened he passed away a couple weeks before Bedlam at the Bank was released.
3: Yeah, and, you know, I I always try to dedicate it to somebody. Uh, unless and there were years where we lost. You know Dallas, Darren, and Jim Bunning, all in the and Roy Alliday all in the same year. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to dedicate it to them because we literally covered that in the video. And, yeah. Uh, so I try to, I always try to find somebody, maybe a longtime employee or something like that. And um, I, when we lost Kurt, I said, let's let's do this. And I actually given instructions to somebody. I said, let's put it the last of the Whiz Kids. Uh, and that never made it on there, which I. I can probably change and still put that on there, but yeah. because he was the end of that era, which is the longest, you know, that's right. The whole, the 19, it was seventy years ago. And, you know, there, there are so many of those guys that I've gotten to know over the years that have, you know, one by one we've lost, but I forgot this was the year we lost David West. There were four or five names. I wish I had thought of, and I'm like, you know what? The Kurt Simmons is on the wall of fame. So he deserves this spot here. And, uh, he was always a gentleman and a nice guy, and uh, we were glad to take care of that.
2: Lo- local guy, lived in Ambler, uh, which yeah, right. is close to where I live. My brother, Steve, yeah. who, who paints uh, car dealerships and he used to paint residentially, actually painted Kurt's house. Wow. Uh, and I have an autograph from Kurt saying, Tim, I hope you become a big league ball player one day. It's in my baseball card collection. <laughs>
3: That's great. That's great. So, yeah, he's a very gracious man, very nice person.
2: Yeah. That's great well Dan thank you for uh, taking time I mean this is it's been great to hear you know your perspective on all of this and you know the one thing I did not know about you just taking time listening to you is it's really evident how much you you know love the game too
3: I, I was happy that I could uh, be a part of telling this story again and uh, uh, you know hopefully we'll have a few more we'll have a we'll have another run which I really believe we will I, I love this team I love the way it's put together and uh, and, and i love that the fans came back and said no this is our team it's just been great
2: that's that's wonderful well thank you for putting it together we've had a lot of fun watching it as a family and my uh, my son tim and his class in florida have watched it and i'm sure many fans cuz there are fans all over the country you know so yeah really yep it's a yep. pretty cool thing okay tim well oh, thank you very much yeah. i appreciate it god bless you have a great rest of your day all right thank you Thanks, very tim. much bye. I'll talk to you later. all right bye for all now right. Video Dan Stevenson, longtime videographer and storyteller with the Philadelphia Phillies, 40 years with them, and the latest release, Bedlam at the Bank, the 2022 Phillies Video Yearbook. You can catch it on the Phillies YouTube channel. You're listening to The Tim DeMoss Show, AM560, WFIL.com, and on the WFIL app.
1: Live and local. It's the Tim DeMoss Show, weekday afternoons four till five on AM560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. Our podcast continues.
2: AM560 WFIL, it's Tim DeMoss. Wanna wrap up the program with a special song, a little dedication to our daughter Victoria Joy. She uh, has special needs. I've shared about her on the program, but it's been a while. Tomorrow, I actually want to take some time and tell more of her story. We are very grateful the Lord placed her in our family. She has changed us completely for the better and been used by the Lord to be a blessing to others. And I thought today, especially because she's 16 going on 17... That that fun song from the sound of music by the same name would be a great way to wrap the program up. So let's do that here. Sixteen going on seventeen from the sound of music. Happy birthday, Victoria Joy. Sixteen going on seventeen from the sound of music. And I don't our daughter Victoria Joy's birthday today. She's sixteen, turning seventeen. Again, I mentioned at the beginning of the song, I want to share more of her story. She's a sweet girl with special needs who's been used by the Lord to really teach us so much about him. And be a blessing. We're very grateful for our listeners who have prayed for her, too, over the years. We'll talk about that more tomorrow. In the meantime, we'll wrap things up and pass the baton to Alice beg Truth for Life, That's coming up next on WFIL.
1: Thanks for listening to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. Feel free to tune in to the full show each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com